It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. There's just so much going on here. I got both TVs on coming off Fox and Friends. So much to go over. We've got Ed Rollins at the bottom of the hour. If you know politics, I know we're in unprecedented times. If anyone could relate to uh, something and put it in perspective. It is Ed Rollins who had a super PAC and still has it for Donald Trump. The president will be going Saturday to Georgia, so that'll be interesting as he tries to double down and get two more senators uh, to represent the Republican Party in the U.S. Senate and he maybe preserve his legacy if he's unable to overturn some of these key states with all the affidavits that are coming forward uh, saying that there was unsavory activity. Uh, today's focus is going to be on Nevada. Yesterday was on Michigan. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Well, I think a lot of it will depend on how Biden behaves. Is he going to sort of fall in line with the radicals in the Democratic Party that are already insisting that right out of the gate we do the clean, you know, the Green New Deal and all this other stuff? Or is he going to try to get things done um, that both sides can agree on? Uh, That is Marco Rubio on Fox and Friends moments ago. Biden speaks to the New York Times and lays out his goals. And just in case he doesn't achieve them, he knows exactly who to blame. Republicans. Number two. Unless you have the IQ of a root vegetable, you know how important this election is. Why do you think President Obama and Mr. Biden are going to Georgia to campaign? They're going to treat this as a second referendum on President Trump and his accomplishments. Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana, tick, tick, tick. Time running out for President Trump to lay out this 2020 fight list to try to overturn this election and before it's solidified. And 2024, his plan is laid out at a Christmas party. We're going to look at his hopes and legacy and how it all ties into the Senate race in Georgia, the two runoffs, a place he will be soon. Number one. I think what's happening in Staten Island is sort of indicative of the old expression, you know, you can forgive people for being wrong or even for being stupid, but hypocrisy is a hard thing to get over. No question. Mike Rowe always lays on the line, speaks for blue collar America hurt the most by these lockdowns, lockdown backlash and hypocrisy. Mass mandates, curfews and stay at home orders are doing more damage to this nation than the China virus. And finally, American businessmen and women are pushing back. There was a huge uprising in Staten Island. I think it's just the canary in a coal mine. In Staten Island last night, uh, what happened is 2,000, maybe more, 3,000 peacefully protested in front of a bar in Staten Island, which even though uh, a few blocks away, bars are allowed to open in this stupid zone system that Emmy Award-winning Governor Cuomo put out, they shut them down. He said, I can't shut down again or I will go out of business. So to do that, circumvented, he says, I'm going to make myself an autonomous zone and I am not going to charge for liquor, but if you want to come in and drink and eat, I'll give, just uh, make a donation. Well, they didn't like that. The NYPD said no problem, or they just ignored it. But the sheriffs came in and arrested him. Uh, his name is Dan Presty. He owns Max's Pub, and he was arrested for defying their shutdown orders. They chanted 
blank Cuomo, fill in the blank, it starts with an F, and pro-Trump. Because it's not Cuomo who started the virus, but it's Cuomo who makes it all the worse. And dare I digress for a second. The Emmy Award-winning governor and author about how to destroy a state in a pandemic actually said, even though we're getting thousands, tens of thousands, maybe millions of doses into New York vaccine-wise, he says, I'm not going to be able to distribute them unless the federal government gives me money. Meanwhile, he's got something like $20 million or $70 million out there right now to go ahead and distribute this vaccine. What kind of governor would move heaven and earth, 7.5 million, I should say, to get a vaccine into the arms of his citizens? Instead, he says, yeah, it depends how much money we have. Depends how much money we have. Meanwhile, Mayor de Blasio here in New York says, I shut down schools. Maybe I shouldn't have, but be patient. I have to figure out a way to reopen them. There's a lot of variables. Be patient. If you have a fourth grader and you can't go to work, I'm supposed to be patient as this idiot mayor paces around New York City trying to find some answers and avoid responsibility. But I digress. So yesterday in Staten Island, I think it's just the beginning. How soon to that bar that's closed down down your block that says, I can't live without being able to make a living, and I'm not getting any money, getting any aid. My lease money is due. I have to open up. Just like the gym down your block that's been forced to shut down in New Jersey. People are fed up, and nobody says lockdown. Everybody says, well, lockdowns aren't really that effective. That's going to Anthony Fauci. Well, what are they doing? And guess what makes it worse? When these mayors and governors still get paid and tell us we're going to have to lock down, we're going to have to have stay-at-home orders, we've got to make sure you're not on the beach, make sure you're not at a party, make sure you don't go to Thanksgiving, make sure you don't have a Christmas, make sure you don't go to dining indoors, make sure you don't go outdoor, make sure it's only takeout. When you find out the mayor of Austin, Texas— Gives a stay-at-home order, basically. It's coming if you don't show more discipline while in Cabo, Mexico. Really? Unbelievable. San Francisco mayor out of the French Laundry restaurant while he's banning indoor dining. He's indoor dining. The governor, indoor dining. A assemblywoman from Santa Monica says no more outdoor dining, no more indoor dining. She's outdoor dining in Santa Monica the day before she had voted to ban it all. That's what drives people crazy. And that's what drives people nuts. And that's why Governor DeSantis has got it. I know there are cases in Florida. But if you go to Florida, people wear a mask. They're doing the best they can to socially distance. But they're trying not to destroy their lives and livelihoods in the process. Cut eight. We've had things like theme parks, beaches open for months and months. We have schools open, all K-12 through school districts, private schools, charter schools. Uh, We have sporting events. And um, I think that for me, I think as you alluded to, A lot of these lockdowns have been very ineffective. Uh, They have huge negative consequences. And my view is that everybody's essential. Who is government to say that your job is not essential? I think it is essential. Uh, I think some of the stuff in March and April uh, uh, didn't work. Um, I think you have to let people earn a living. And it's really not even government's role to say who, who could pick and choose. He's not saying the virus isn't there. He's not saying don't take action. He's not saying don't wear a mask. But we know eight months in, we all know as much as the experts. They say the same thing over and over again. Only they get it wrong often. Danny Presti, he's the co-owner of Max Pub in Staten Island. He was arrested. 
cut into six. The sheriff's on the scene. Um, they've created a blockade in front. They won't let anybody in. Um, they said they're not going to leave anytime soon. Uh, we do want to make clear, though, that they are not the NYPD. These are the New York City sheriffs. So NYPD has worked with us. Um, really good guys. Um, we support them fully. This is the New York City Sheriff Department, and they have created a blockade and will not let anybody in the place except for myself, Keith, and Lou. Yeah. Uh, do you understand where they're coming from? They just want to work 70 hours a week. And the margins are so small in restaurants and bars that you got to be productive every week. Shutting down is just not in the business plan. And if you're not going to come off or come out with more money not to work, which is not sustainable anyway, you can't keep shutting down. For example, it's been explained to me when you're at a restaurant, before you open up, you got to order all the food and all the drinks. And if you do not sell that food, you got to throw it out. So you invest money you probably don't have to get or to ramp up to be ready to go, only to find out that you're being shut down again. And keep in mind, those CDC experts, they want the kids back in school. They want face-to-face expert, uh, face-to-face learning going on. And the closures should be few and far between. Listen to the very boring but official Robert Redfield, who runs the CDC. Cut five. So I do think we should use that data and, um, and, and make decisions, you know, based on data. And right now, uh, and, and I do think it's important that the answer to controlling the uh, COVID pandemic is the answer is not necessarily closure, whether it's schools or business, et cetera. There may be some strategic closures that make sense, but I don't think, you know, we benefit at all in our nation in controlling COVID by uh, broadly shutting down businesses. Is this incredible? That is the director of the CDC. But these mayors and governors without a medical degree are deciding that they know better. And yet they don't have any tax revenue. They can't support businesses. They can't pay for the civil servants. They want to hand out from the federal government or they won't hand out the vaccine. So listen to this clown, this mayor of Austin, Texas, Steve Adler. His daughter gets married, and he decides to take a private plane to Cabo, Mexico, but not say anything. On a Facebook message, he says this. Cut 15. Stay home if you can. Do everything you can to try to to keep the numbers down. This is not the time to, to relax. We're going to be looking really closely. Yeah, not the time to relax, like he is on the beach in Cabo, Mexico. So people, some enterprising reporters found out where he was, so we apologized. He goes, even though technically I didn't violate anything, I understand people might get the wrong message. You think so? I don't accept any of your apologies. I don't accept Newsom's apology. don't accept any of these mayors' apologies. You know why? Because they still get paid. And they get to do what they want. And they use this to power of decree. And they do it in your face. Remember the mayor in Colorado? Same thing. Is on a train, a plane, going to visit his mother in Missouri. When he goes and tells everyone in Colorado, stay home. It's too dangerous to travel. So there is some good news. Uh, this aid package, I think, this bipartisan plan we talked to Senator Cassidy on the show about. Yeah, Mr. Joe Manchin came up with it. It was joined by Cassidy on the right. And it was joined by uh, Mitt Romney on the right. Uh, Senator Dick Durbin on the left. Uh, it looks like Schumer and Pelosi said, oh, I'll, I'll do it. Even though I was holding out for $1.8 trillion, I'll take the $900 billion. So I want to see, and now Mitch McConnell's at $500 billion. There's a lot of things in there, including some immunity for businesses that open that are not going to get sued. There might be some incentive to set up your work, at least have a chance to get people 
uh, into the buildings wherever you are, whether it's a small business or a big bank. Now there might be some protections in that. So get started on it. You're shutting down this country and you're providing no relief. That's not a combination that will work. Senator, uh, Senator Marco Rubio is in charge of the PPP program. And he also said that he is hopeful, but he wants more than the $250 million, uh, that they, uh, a billion that they have set aside right now. He says small businesses will need more. Here is uh, what Marco Rubio, a little about what he said about the way these politicians are acting as opposed to the way businessmen are asking. Cut 11. The hypocrisy of during the campaign when Trump had a rally with a bunch of people that was irresponsible. After the campaign, when people took to the streets dancing uh, and viewed, you know, in the crowds, tightly packed crowds celebrating because of Biden, nobody said a word. And, and it's the same with the stuff now. You've got these people that own a business that, that put their whole life's work into it. And you've got some guy behind a Zoom camera on television who gets paid to work from home, lecturing them about how they need to close their business and, and not work and not employ people uh, until they tell them it's OK to do it. So it's an enormous amount of hypocrisy and people are tired of it. That was Marco Rubio earlier. So on the election, the president not giving up. And there's a lot of disturbing things emerging from uh, Georgia to Michigan to Wisconsin. And now today we're going to hear details about Nevada. So the president hopped on and streamed this address of 45 minutes in length. Here's a little uh, on why he's fighting and what he's found. Cut 16. For months leading up to the presidential election, we were warned that we should not declare a premature victory. We were told repeatedly that it would take weeks, if not months, to determine the winner, to count the absentee ballots, and to verify the results. My opponent was told to stay away from the election. Don't campaign. We don't need you. We've got it. This election is done. In fact, they were acting like they already knew what the outcome was going to be. They had it covered, and perhaps they did, very sadly for our country. It was all very, very strange. So uh, there was specific. That is true. A lot of the run up there. We never saw Joe Biden. He was a terrible campaigner. Never should have got the nomination. He would scream on the stump in front of 12 cars. And the president would go out and travel the country weeks after getting the virus and being in the hospital and would pack out tens of thousands of people. And then when he was winning big early on November 3rd, he thought he won, takes Ohio, takes uh, Florida, usually spells victory. With this year of mail-in voting and a lot of investigations and affidavits, the president's not buying the outcome. The attorney general came out and said not enough to overturn the election. Evidently, the president is furious about that, but he's got to be honest. There's not enough to overturn the election. The question is, has he done the investigation? Uh, Cut 17. Within days after the election, we witnessed an orchestrated effort to anoint a winner even while many key states were still being counted. The constitutional process must be allowed to continue. We are going to defend the honesty of the vote by ensuring that every legal ballot is counted and that no illegal ballot is counted. This is not just about honoring the votes of 74 million Americans who voted for me. It's about ensuring that Americans can have faith in this election And in all future elections, I'm going to go over what Joe Biden's going to do, what he said about those 74 million people that did vote for Donald Trump and uh, so much more. The president's frustrated uh, and he doesn't quit on anything. 
But he basically said, yes, I'll be back in 2024 if this doesn't go my way. When we come back, your phone calls, 1-866-408-7669. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. This colossal expansion of mail-in voting opened the floodgates to massive fraud. It's a widely known fact that the voting rolls are packed with people who are not lawfully eligible to vote, including those who are deceased, have moved out of their state, and even are non-citizens of our country. Beyond this, the records are riddled with errors, wrong addresses, duplicate entries, and many other issues. This is not disputed. It has never been disputed. And the president brought that up in June. Uh, maybe even before that, when he heard unsolicited mail-in ballots are going out. Now, in the battleground states, nine states did this. Some are good at it, like Oregon. That's all they do. But the states that did this, Nevada is the one that's really causing the most stress. And Georgia, too, they did this, all this signing up people, and now they're getting scrutiny. Now they're getting scrutiny when they have the runoff elections. They're saying, what, what's going on with these outside groups? Uh, how come there's uh, all these people that have a uh, duplicate, uh, may have voted twice or may Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. They have gotten applications to their house, and they're not even there anymore. In fact, the Secretary of State's son, evidently, I don't know the details, passed away two years ago. He got two ballots at his house in his son's name. That's a bit of a mistake, don't you think? So... The question is not if people are up to no good. The question is, is it enough to win Georgia? Is it enough to win Wisconsin? Is it enough to win Nevada? Is it enough to get Arizona back? And what the Department of Justice, the the, the Attorney General is saying, is the Department of Justice hasn't done an investigation yet, but they have not. They've looked into what's been in front of them, and they haven't seen it to a degree to overturn the election. Now, the Axios is saying the president is so upset he might actually fire William Barr. Be the craziest thing ever. William Barr has been his MVP since he took over. Everything changed since he soft landing. The Mueller report was able to go through the impeachment and then handle the Durham investigation. Even what he's done after he left, when after he leaves. President could be mad, but he should never, ever consider firing him. When we come back, Ed Rollins, on what the president's next step should be and what the runoff elections are going to be like. There's a debate this weekend. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If Kelly Loeffler wants your vote, if David Perdue wants your vote, they've got to earn it. They've got to demand publicly, repeatedly, consistently. Brian Kemp, call a special session of the Georgia legislature. And if they do not do it, if Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue do not do it, they have not earned your vote. Don't you give it to them. Why would you go back and vote in another rigged election? For God's sakes, fix it. Well, that's conservative attorney Lynn Wood saying don't vote. I mean, my goodness, I understand the frustration and the secretary of state and governor are looking into it. They'll sit down with Laura on television this weekend, Laura uh, Ingram. But. That's some of the stupid advice I ever heard. Uh, don't vote. Ed Rollins, GOP, uh, political consultant, co-chairman of the pro uh, Donald Trump Super PAC, Great America. Ed, uh, welcome back. Thank you. My pleasure. How are you, sir? Good. Uh, that's the exact message you don't want to hear if you're a Republican, right? Absolutely. Absolutely do not want to hear it. My, my biggest concern about all of this is, uh, you know, having been around the game for a long time and having watched a lot of elections, uh, there's, there's always some uh, confusion in elections. Sometimes there's a little bit of um, mischief. Uh, sometimes there's a lot of mischief. This was a gigantic election in the sense that more people voted than ever in the last hundred years. Uh, uh, obviously, having the early voting changed the whole dynamics of the race dramatically. Uh, and if you're going to argue the case and try and get some legal reprieve, why don't you have the best lawyers, the best lawyers in the country who understand campaigns? The idea that you have Linwood, who's a kind of an ambulance, glorified ambulance chaser. You identified him as a conservative. He's a guy who gave donated to Obama twice. Uh, 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 Sidney Powell, who obviously is off on some crazed uh, uh, 
uh, fundraising effort in addition to, you know, they're dying to be on television is the whole key here. Uh, and, and even Rudy, who I have great respect for, he's been a friend of mine for a long time, is not who you would call a legal uh, scholar who would be ready to go to the Supreme Court. Uh, where's the David Boys or the Democrats or the Jim Bakers or the Ted Olsons or the Michael Collins or the Ben Ginsburgs or even the Ron Keynes? were the great lawyers the last go around uh, uh, when we went to, went to the Supreme Court. So my sense is you're throwing a lot of a lot of rocks at the window uh, and, and you're making a lot of glass, but you're probably going to cost yourself, if you're not careful, two critical Senate races, uh, and we're really running out of time. I, I just don't see the strategy of how you're going to get to the appeals court. You've been beat at every level of the, of the court so far. And if, if you think the Supreme Court is just going to pick up the, the pieces here and say we're going to disqualify 50 million people or 100 million people or whatever uh, is absurd. Uh, yeah. I, in other words, you, you appreciate the president's fighting, but you haven't seen enough that his lawyers have not produced enough to think that this, this election is going to be overturned is what you're saying, Ed? I'm saying that totally. And, and, and the reality is, you know, there's, there's a lot of capable people who both do practice election law. There's a lot of good political strategists who do politics for a living, and none of them seem to be in part of this process. Uh, uh, again, I, I have great respect for Rudy. He was a great mayor of the city. He's been a friend of mine for a long time. But Rudy hasn't been a, a practicing lawyer for 40 years, uh, uh, and certainly his performances to date have been somewhat controversial. Sidney Powell, to the best of my knowledge, hasn't been ever been to the Supreme Court, certainly is not an election lawyer, and the things that they're saying are just confusing the whole issue uh, as opposed to really are we trying to move forward uh, benefit the party, benefit the president, uh, and, and has something that basically has a chance of getting to the court and, and overturning it. I don't see it so far. So, I don't Ed, think I'll see it. Right. Uh, and this mail-in voting, is, is really, the president knew it was going to be a problem. The unsolicited ballots that arrived at people's houses, some of which don't live there anymore. The average American moves uh, every two years. So for Nevada to go ahead and do it, that's where they're going to be today. And for uh, other people to get ballots in the mail— and people, they say double voting is taking place. That That's really began the questions in the president's mind. He thought there's going to be a problem from day one. Well, it was a problem from day one. And the reality is that the COVID added, added to the, the urgency of having more absentee ballot or early voting. Uh, unfortunately, this is going to be the, the, the future, unfortunately. Uh, and, and, if, and if any good lawyer will tell you, any good strategist, you have to be prepared before the election, not after the election. Uh, you can't go in and make these challenges during the process. You have to be prepared for them, uh, go through all the, 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 the practice. My sense is the Democrats want this. It's how their votes turn out. We traditionally have done well on absentee ballot. We didn't this time because our focus was, and unfortunately the president basically was arguing his voters to turn on election day. Uh, there's a great understanding of all this, but the bottom line is if you think you're going to go back to one day uh, and make it very difficult for people to vote absentee, you're crazy. People voted vote this time in record numbers. They'll continue to want this. Uh, politicians are politicians, and they're going to do what the voters want. And the voters are not going to say, oh, this is all messed up. Let's go back to a single-day uh, election. Uh, it's just not going to happen. So we better be prepared to go out and deal in this environment uh, and I don't think we were. Uh, I whose fault that was. I don't know whether it was the RNC or the campaign or what have you. But at the end of the day, the Democrats were prepared for it. They did it effectively. We weren't prepared. We had a tremendous turnout effort on Election Day. But the bottom line is this was decided uh, for the pre-votes, not the, not the post-votes. But no one thought that they were going to have this loose of seg- uh, signature comparisons, right? Verification? Well, you know, the reality is if you're going to have this gigantic absentee ballot, uh, 
I mean, I hear people on saying, well, you got to have two people. If you're, if you're going to take 50 million people uh, and match up signatures, if you don't do it by machine, uh, you don't have some kind of a system, we're so intent on protecting the identity of, 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 of voters uh, that we, we basically have eliminated some of the processes. And, and a signature may not be the best way to do it. Uh, uh, I'm 77 years old. My signature is not the same signature it was 25 years ago, 30 years ago. Someone could certainly challenge me there. I'm all for showing a driver's license, showing something, uh, some kind of an identification when you're going through the process. Uh, we have to do it to get in every single building in America today, and there's no reason we shouldn't. We've lost those battles in legislatures, and we have to go back to get some kind of real voter identification, both for the pre-vote and the post-vote uh, or for the election day vote. Bottom line is, yeah, Republicans did have a good day November 3rd. I mean, to, despite the odds, the Senate and the House— and the president deserves great credit. The president drove this election. Uh, it turned out to be a personality thing on him. Uh, I, no one rejected his policies. I think they rejected uh, the, the way he handled the virus or whatever. He's a polarizing figure. If you if you like like him, you you love him and you vote for him. If you didn't like him, you voted for Biden. Uh, and that's what it really comes down to. Uh, but we had a great day. We held the Senate. Uh, uh, we only lost one Senate seat. We picked up. Senate seat. Uh, we win these two. We're going to have control again. We had a great day in the House. I think we're in perfect position to win the House back uh, realistically in, in two years from now uh, with reapportionment and everything else. Uh, so we have great gains. Uh, and I think the key thing here is let's not mess it up by losing these two Senate races. So here's what Lindsey Graham's concern is. I looked at what happened in Georgia. He does not like the process. Cut 29. They use COVID as a way to expand mail-in voting. Voting by mail tripled in Georgia. They got all these drop boxes by Walmarts where people drop in mail-in ballots. I'm telling you right now, if you audited the envelopes with signatures on them, that you will find, if you had a bipartisan group or a machine doing it, a higher rejection rate than actually occurred in the election. But we got a new election coming. Now, we got nobody to blame but ourselves if we sit on our ass and continue to allow the system to exist. So, I've, you know, I like the governor. He's a fine fellow, but he needs to change the law before it's too late so we don't get cheated out of these two Senate seats. And, and he wants to go on to say he wants them to, uh, George Governor, to do this. Cut 27. Mail-in voting, the way they're doing it throughout the country, will be the end of the Republican Party. All you need in Georgia is for one person to verify a signature. Every signature on mail-in ballots should be verified in a bipartisan way. So I'm begging the governor to call the legislature back in session and do two things. Make sure that when it comes to verifying signatures on mail-in ballots, that it's done bipartisan, not a single individual uh, in a county office that may have an agenda uh, that's partisan. That's a simple fix. If you do that, you're probably going to save Leffler uh, and Purdue from a lot of fraud. So he said, get the state legislature together and do that. Just get two people in a room, Republican and Democrat. Is this possible? No, no, it's not. It's not practical. It's not possible. The time frame is too short. Uh, the absentee ballots are all going to be out there by the time you get the idea of bringing back a legislature and forcing reform. Uh, in, in this time frame, it's just nuts. It's just not going to happen. So, you know, we should have done that a long time ago. We should certainly should do it for the future. Right now, we have to make sure Republicans get turned out in this election and vote for these two candidates uh, who are incumbent senators right today. Ed, but trying to do this, yeah. it's just not going to happen. You sound so fired up. You should go down there. Are you going to go down and start banging on doors? Because I heard they have a great ground game already. 
Uh, is Ed Rollins going to go down there? Tall Rove is taking over the fundraising. Oh, Carl's got the easy job. I'd rather do the fun. <laughs> I'm, an old, I'm older than Carl. Let Carl go walk the precinct. I'll walk precinct. I'm 77 years old with Parkinson's. <laughs> I'm going to urge voters to be down there and, 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 and get all this confusion out of there. Get Lynn Wood out of there. Get uh, Sydney out of there. Uh, and, 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 and the idiocy of, of, of General Flynn, who's now talking about nationalizing an election and bringing out the militia, that's just causing nothing but confusion. What we need is we need these two Senate races. They're critical to us. It gives us the margin. It keeps us. It'll help give us the ability to block most of the Biden agenda, and we can move forward and have, a, have a, uh, all this radical stuff that the Democrats want to put through. Is not going to happen. So, all right. Uh, what's your advice to the president? President needs to go down this week and not make it a grievance session about him. Make it a why I need. Here's here's what I here's what I accomplished in my four years as president. Here's what I'd like to accomplish in the next term if somehow I get get a second term, which is not likely. But at the same time, don't make it a grievance session. Don't go down there and spend two minutes on the candidates and bitch and moan about uh, how how I got screwed in this election. People aren't going to want to hear that. People want to know why it's important to vote for these two candidates. I'll tell you what. In terms of the two candidates, I mean, uh, Reverend Warnock is certainly vulnerable. He was mentored by Reverend Wright, his anti-Semitic, anti-American rants. Uh, he said you can't join the military and worship God at the same time. And in Georgia, where military bases are everywhere, I mean, this guy's vulnerable, to say the least. Well, any, any, any Democrat should be vulnerable on a special election. Republicans traditionally have done special elections much better than Democrats have, and particularly in a state like Georgia. The reality here, though, is they're going to get all clouded by all this other stuff, and, and you're going to just say people – it's not easy to get people to come out after January 5th, after Christmas and all the rest of the holidays. It's not easy to get people to come out in this virus environment. So what you've got to make sure is people go vote. If you're eligible for an absentee ballot or, or – Get out as your Republican. Get out there and get your ballot and vote uh, and, and, and quit bitching about the last election. This is about the future, and we need to do it right now. Do you think the president could run in four years if this doesn't work out? I think he's going to lose a lot of his legacy if he doesn't. Uh, I mean, my, my concern for the president, who I've obviously supported uh, for four years, is I don't want to see his legacy being that he's a sore loser uh, or, or basically I undercut the, the democracy of America by spending four years bitching about a bad election. Uh you move on, you know, and, and I think if he does that, he can come back. He can be the reality check on, on Biden. Uh, uh, this is what we should be doing. Uh, you have a loud megaphone. Uh, you're going to block anybody else from trying to run. But it has to be a constructive force, not a destructive force. If it's four years of whining and bitching about how I lost, how they screwed me in this election, then people are getting turned off to him. Uh, did you, have you spoken to him, Ed? Nope. Okay. Uh, do you want to? I, 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 anytime the president or anybody else wants advice on politics, I'm happy to give it to him. Uh, but, you know, he's got lots of people in there giving him lots of advice at this point in time. And I don't know whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. All I'm telling you right now is you better get some good lawyers here if he's going to try and get this thing to the Supreme Court because it doesn't look very good right now. Sect, uh, President Trump has put his line in the sand with his Section 230 to try to take out and, and subject these social media uh, uh, monstrosities to the same journalistic uh, rules that, that rule uh, places like Fox News and Newsday. Do you think that this should be the line in the sand and hold up the defense bill because of it? No, I think the defense bill is, is critical. And you have to understand, that 
if this defense bill goes down, you don't think Biden's going to have a defense bill that's going to be anywhere near this. So my sense is this is important. This has been long negotiated. You have bipartisan support on this defense bill. You need to get it through. The 230 rule and what have you needs to be done, but it has to be done separately. And it's not going to be, can't be tied to the defense bill. And I, if you yeah. lose the defense bill, uh, they get to put the defense bill together, and it's not going to be a good one. And the last thing is, just real quick, you look at what happened with that Hunter Biden story. That's real. Those are real emails. You look at what happened with the Drudge Report. Someone bought that and shelved that. You look what happened with the NRA. It's suddenly, all of a sudden, they have tax problems. Did someone look at Trump and say, what put him there? we got to make sure to take these important uh, things away from him? One thing I have said over and over again, having spent 50 years of my life in politics, there's some very smart people on the other side. We always have a tendency to kind of underestimate them. There are great operatives. There are people who basically could kick my ass every single day that, that are basically in, in this. I, I've been against them. I watch them. Uh, they pound their message on TV. They pound their message in campaigns. They keep their campaign people alive through all these various environmental groups and what have you. We don't. You know, we're kind of a very diffused uh, uh, party, and we need to take this for real. Uh, they took it for real. They knew what they had to do to go beat uh, beat uh, the president, and they did it. Uh, and, and, and the absentee ballot is a big part of it. And we just need mm. to quit underestimating our opponents and basically – Treat them as with the respect they deserve, and go out and beat them, uh, beat them in the Congress, beat them in the in the political environment. Ed Rollins, can't thank you enough. Appreciate your insight. I hope the My president pleasure. gets it, takes it. Thank you. Take care. Great. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Back with your calls in just a moment. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Let's go out to Jenny Listen, WHIO in Middletown, Ohio. Hi, Brian. Um, I just wanted to voice my opinion on the alleged voter fraud that is not enough to overturn the election and therefore it should not be investigated. I mean, how can we say that if it's not investigated? And even so, what about future elections and what about the potential criminal? Yeah, he's very disappointed in the the caliber of lawyers. You heard what he was saying, and Ed's a pro-Trump guy, Ed Jenny. You know that, right? So, I mean, he has a super PAC for him. And that means he raises money exclusively for President Trump without even getting the access. So, you know, he's he's doing it for the country. He says, I don't see enough there. He doesn't want Lynn Wood doing it. He doesn't want Rudy Giuliani doing it. Well, I agree. I agree with the Lynn Wood thing, but I I don't understand why Bill Barr isn't doing something. That's the eye of the CIA, some, you know, federal agency. Right. Uh, do you think there's do you think there's enough to overturn 53,000 in uh, in Michigan, enough to overturn uh, 35,000 in Nevada, enough to overturn 12,000 in Georgia? Uh, I believe at least one of those states. Yes. Yes. Watching all of the, you know, potential the witnesses the, the past couple of days in Michigan. I mean, there. I think it's definitely enough to be investigated and even if as I said, even if it doesn't overturn the election, there are problems with the system. That's a great point because we're going to have other elections. And we've we got to make sure that 
all these counties that are ass backwards are called on the carpet for the way they do things, being understaffed, whatever it is. So I appreciate it, Jenny. We'll see what happens. I uh, appreciate you keep it here. Hey, go to BrianKillMe.com if you want to get any of my books for any of the holidays. Get them personalized. And Sam, uh, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, now out on paperback. Don't move. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, we are coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. We have a big hour coming your way. Chris Wallace standing by. Mike Levitt will be with us, former Secretary of Health and Human Services from 05 to 09, four years, but, and former three-term governor of Utah. I want to get his take on the distribution of this vaccine and what this governor of New York is saying. You know, you know the Emmy Award winner, best-selling author about how to beat a pandemic while still keeping your uh, state on its knees? He says... Yeah, I'm going to get the vaccine in two weeks, I think, but I don't have enough money to hand it out. If the federal government doesn't help us with distribution, I'm not really going to be able to handle it out. Really? You got 7.5 million. The city's got 6.7 million. How much more money do you need? If I'm governor, I walk into people's houses. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Well, I think a lot of it will depend on how Biden behaves. Is he going to sort of fall in line with the radicals in the Democratic Party that are already insisting that right out of the gate we do the clean, you know, the Green New Deal and all this other stuff? Or is he going to try to get things done um, that both sides can agree on? And that is Marco Rubio uh, talking about Joe Biden's New York Times interview where he lays out his goals. And just in case he doesn't achieve them, he knows exactly who to blame, Republicans. Number two. Unless you have the IQ of a root vegetable, you know how important this election is. Why do you think President Obama and Mr. Biden are going to Georgia to campaign? They're going to treat this as a second referendum on President Trump and his accomplishments. Tick, tick, tick. Time running out for Trump and the administration as he lays out his 2020 fight plan and his 2024 plan for re-election. Uh, or for one more time and be a Grover Cleveland in the American presidential process. We look at how this hopes and legacy really is tied to the Senate races in Georgia, a place he will rally on Saturday. Number one. I think what's happening in Staten Island is sort of indicative of the old expression, you know, you can forgive people for being wrong or even for being stupid, but hypocrisy is a hard thing to get over. And that is Michael Rowe. Uh, lockdown, backlash, and hypocrisy. Mask mandates, curfews, and stay-at-home orders are doing more damage to this nation than the China virus ever did. And finally, American businessmen and women are pushing back. There was a huge uprising in Staten Island last night, and I think it's just the start. But first... Now it is time to clear the airwaves for the esteemed host of Fox News Sunday. You are to refer to me only as the big guy going forward. <laughs> the battleground big guy. The chairman of the choosing. I want to be called the big guy like I want to be called oligarch. And the oligarch of the, um, big guys? I love that. Chris Wallace. Chris, welcome back. 
Well, thank you. Uh, you're, we're now going into replays. I mean, is this? I didn't realize it was summer. We're into reruns now of my open. No, by the way, that's 1970s uh, rules. When we cared so much about sitcoms, we'd be upset that would they go into replays in the summer. There's nothing ever stops. It's all about Netflix now. Uh, it's all about Amazon streaming. It's not about taking off in the summer. Come on, you're showing your age. I, listen, I walk into a room, I show my age, but, uh, you, you know, actually, it's true. What has gotten me through, first of all, my wonderful wife, Lorraine, and then the respect of my colleagues like you, but TV, there's a lot of good stuff on there. I mean, I'm, I watched the Queen. Did you watch the Queen's Gambit? No, I watch anything. On, I only watch Fox Nation or Fox News. Well, you're missing a lot of good stuff. <laughs> not saying the Fox Nation and Fox News, but uh, the Crown is great. Uh, Queen's Gambit is great. HBO's got a good series on right now called The Undoing, uh, a, a real whodunit. There's a lot of good TV on. The Undoing, I heard a lot about. I heard there was some controversy with that. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. When you, you only work one day a week, you get up at 7 in the morning, just get ready for your show on Sunday. I got to work every day. I understand that. You know, in 30 years, talk to me about it. Let's see what, what you're doing. <laughs> so so uh, we have a special election coming up on Saturday. The yeah. president's going to be there. Man, there's a lot at stake. we got this uh, debate we're going to be covering on Sunday. And now the Secretary of State of Georgia comes out and says, we're going to do investigations to three uh, groups that are signing up people at a dizzying rate. And we want to find out what's happening with America Votes, Vote Forward, and the New Georgia Project, founded by Stacey Abrams. And and the former chairman is Raphael Warnock, who happens to be running against Kelly Leffler. There are 23 investigators working on 250 investigations. Now they decide to look into it. Now they well, see no, a no, problem. No, but but there's, a spe- there's a specific thing they're looking into, which is whether these people, this didn't happen before the election, whether or not uh, they're getting people to come from out of state and register to vote, and they're not really Georgia residents. And that is would obviously be a crime and would be wrong. And we had people like Tom Friedman of The New York Times recommend people, quote, move to Georgia so they could vote. Having said that, I, it seems to me the president and his camp are really messing this up right now. The president is talking, is attacking the Republican governor of Georgia. He's attacking the Republican secretary of state of Georgia. And those two whiz kids, Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood, are telling Republicans not to vote at all in the election. I mean, there is a chance, and I agree with you, this is a hugely important election. The the, the stake, of who's going to control the Senate is at stake here. But the Republicans are shooting themselves in the foot in potentially depressing Republican turnout. Well, that's true. I don't, I, you know, I think it's short term. I think the president's just doing what the president does, and he'll straighten it out on Saturday. Uh, but I want you to hear what the Secretary of State said yesterday. They made a big mistake. Listen. Monday and Tuesday, what we've been talking about is some of these outside independent groups contacting people. And what they said is they said they were using our voter file. But that's not true. Here's something that came to our house yesterday. We got three of them all from the same organization. And it's to my son, Brenton J. Raffensperger, who passed away two years ago, almost two and a half years ago. He's not on our voter files here in Georgia. We checked. Big mistake uh, for these groups. Uh, can you imagine that? No, it's, it, 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 it's, well, I can't imagine it because 
there always is some some voter fraud. And given the fact that the that, you know, the stakes are as important as they are in these two special elections on January 5th, uh, is it right? No. Is, is it is it completely shocking? No. I mean, there, you know, fraud on a very limited scale is 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 part of the system, it, a bad part of the system and a legal part of the system. But this isn't the first time that there's been attempted voter fraud. You know what's pretty amazing is no one's really paying attention to how many state houses went to Republicans, over 100. And now these look at the House. I talked Kevin McCarthy was on Fox and Friends today. He thinks it's going to be 200. They're going to get 211 or 213 seats and to 222. So the smallest margin since World War One, I, I believe. So, I mean, Republicans did do well. And even Purdue won by 83,000 votes. And I'm struck by how vulnerable Warnock is. If you just look at his background, I'm not saying he's not a talented speaker, but he's fully endorsed the new Green Deal. I'm not sure that resonates with the majority of voters in Georgia. He says you cannot serve God and the military. Oops, that might not really uh, catch steam on these military campuses. And they also have a situation where he, Reverend Wright is his mentor, who Mr. Goddamn America. So these are pretty these are pretty ripe vulnerabilities, I would think. For for Loeffler, yeah, if she could I, I take mean, advantage exactly. of exactly, which is which is why a lot of the Republicans in in Georgia are saying stop attacking the Republicans in Georgia to the president and the president's lawyers and and it, whether they're officially his lawyers or not, like Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood, and let's all get together and let's win the election in front of us, which is the January special election, and let's not undercut it by by you know a circular firing squad. I think it's kind of interesting. Quick thing, Thomas Friedman was able to sit down with Joe Biden for an hour or so, and he's able to come up with some of the things he's going to do. Two things I want you to weigh in on. On China, because I'm going to leave the tariffs. Um, I go, I'm not going to do any trade deals because I want to focus on building up America first. Where did I hear that before? Give me a second. It'll come back to me. And in Iran, he says he wants to go back to the deal and remove all of the Trump sanctions. First off on China. Well, first of all, on China, and, and it's interesting, I think that one of the lasting good things about the Trump presidency is he forced us to take a different, less glossy look less, at, at, at China and understand that it is a, a real threat, and if not an enemy, certainly an adversary, both economically, militarily, in terms of just influence in the world. Uh, and, and that'll be a real test for the, for the Biden foreign policy team, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to do everything that, that Trump did, but is it going to go back to some of the cooperation from the Obama years? Generally speaking, I think it's going to be interesting to see. Biden, when he announced his team on foreign policy, said, and, and all, a lot of them said, look, we're not going back to 2016 because the world has changed in four years. And that's going to be one of the really interesting things to see, whether it's China, whether it's Iran, whether it's Russia. Is uh, are they just going to go back and try to reinstitute, in effect, the third term of Barack Obama, or are they going to uh, try to learn from you know what's happened and and from frankly what Donald Trump has done right, which is a lot, and wrong, which is some, and uh, and build from there. And China's one of the areas where I think we just have to be more clear-eyed, and and I think President Trump was right in a lot of that over the four years. My, uh, I don't know if you have your paper boy drop off the New York Post in Washington, do you? I do not. 
All right. Uh, mine does. He gets there at 2.30 in the morning, so I'm able to get it early. I give him a big is tip. That one of the, is that one of the Murdochs who drops the post off for you? Yeah. I mean, one of, they say they're related to the Murdochs. You know, I'm not sure if it's a cousin, but... Uh, do they speak? Do they have an Austra- a thick Australian accent? No, they've been Americanized. So uh, you have to go and play with me on this, are you? You're not going to mess around. With me, <laughs> I get a little scared when you bring up Murdoch. Let's be honest. <laughs> okay, go ahead. They've so, got a great sense of humor. Because, but by the way, they do. But sometimes they they actually watch Fox Nation, and they've watched us on together before. So I feel like they could be like I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> Forget that. Can we erase the previous two minutes? Absolutely. I will not okay, send this one to the happen. Museum of Broadcasting. All right. So, Chris. Yes, sir. In the New York Post today, the Emmy Award winning best-selling author, Governor Andrew Cuomo, says, yes, yeah, sir. I heard about the vaccine coming in two weeks, but right now I don't really have enough money to give it out. And if the federal government gives us money, I'll send it out. Really? You want to save American lives? You want to shut down an entire state for our good? But you're not going to come up with money for a vaccine? What do you need everyone to bring their own cotton ball? He's got <laughs> $7.5 million for this reason, 6.7 of the city alone. How is, in what planet is that okay? Well, uh, you know, I attacked... At your bidding and with your instigation, I attacked Andrew Cuomo last week. I'm not going to attack him again this week. And thank you for putting out there on the Internet. All I could see what <laughs> Chris Wallace says about Andrew Cuomo. Let me just say the word jerk was used. So I'm not going to say <laughs> jerked him. About, you like that when you get me in trouble. So, <laughs> But I, I mean, in, in, I agree with you. Nothing could be more important than saving the lives. And of course, Cuomo's record on saving the lives of people in, in nursing homes is not very good. Uh, but having said that, they do, the states in general, forget New York, states in general do need some help from the federal government uh, to, to, to get this vaccine out. Let me ask you a question. Yep. If, if, would you get, would, will you get the first dose of vaccine? If they say to you, Absolutely. as a public service, we want to, you to get it on the air. First when, or last. And, and, you know, I'll be our, first or last, whatever it takes. And, and uh, when, you get a, when you get a shot... Do you look at them giving you the shot, or do you turn your head away? Uh, put it this way. I, uh, I welcome the pain. And I'm a guy that sits for two hours to give platelets up because I'm a great coagulator. Did I say that right? Uh, one thing about yes. my blood, I, I can scab. So I, I can stop the bleeding. <laughs> That's what labor unions say about you. Yeah, I heard. Tell me, he can scab. Well, listen, I think it's important. Uh, well, there's one thing that you, you had just brought up. I did get you in trouble last week uh, with that. But it would oh, be. We're going to go back to that? But I will I'll bring up this. Uh, last night was the beginning, I think, of something that's going to be pretty prevalent, and be by, especially by Sunday. The Staten Island bar owner that stood up and said, I, I cannot shut down again. I'm out of business forever. I will not go down without a fight. And then the protest of support behind them and the sheriff shutting them down after that. And when you have the mayor of Austin tell everyone we're getting set to shut everything down while he's in Cabo, the mayor of San Francisco going to an elite restaurant while shutting down indoor dining, same thing with the governor and a same thing with the assemblywoman in Santa Monica, California, and, the of course, the, <laughs> mayor, the mayor of, of Colorado. Don't travel, and then he goes to Minnesota, uh, Mississippi, rather. Yeah. For Thanksgiving. No, look, the, the hypocrisy is completely unacceptable. I mean, you know, it, it, it's you think to yourself, did, are these guys with social media today? Do they really think they can say one thing and then go do something else, and they're not going to get caught? Uh, you know, completely acting in, in you know in contradiction to to their rhetoric. 
On the other hand, I will say this, and, and uh, let me just ask you this question again, and I don't know how much I have done on my watch, so I don't know how close we yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm in overtime, but go ahead. Okay. Uh, we had Yesterday, we had 200,000 new cases. We have 100,000 people in the hospital. These are all time highs, and we had 2,800 deaths. We got to do something, don't we? Right. We I'm not should to shut down the the bars. We got to do something. Right. Here's the thing, Chris. Just don't do. Why, why not? Uh, don't don't turn up the pain. We uh, shut down entirely everywhere. You 37 mass mandates in 37 states. There's mass mandates. We have all these shutdowns. We have all this all this letdowns. We stay up from school. We don't play sports, and it's still going up. So if I'm going to go down, at least give me a chance to make my own decisions. That's all. Okay. All right. Brian, thanks so much for being on the show, and we're going to be right back with uh, <laughs> Mike Levitt. <laughs> no, we're going to take some phone calls. Right back with Brian Kilman and Chris Wallace in just a moment. Celebrating 10 years. Wait, has it really been that long? As usual, you've made it all about yourself. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Let's go out to Rich and listen to WABC in White Plains, New York. Hey, Rich. Hey, Brian. How you doing? Great. What's on your mind? Um, Just want to qualify my comments by saying I'm a registered Republican and a conservative. Um, In the wake of Donald Trump's 46-minute made-for-YouTube rant about how the election was rigged, he's obviously doubling and tripling down. I think we should... Uh, cast our memories back to the 2016 primary when Ted Cruz was gaining ground. He alleged that that contest was rigged. And then in the general election, he also alleged that, um, you know, uh, that alleged that the general election was rigged. And now he's doing saying that Biden. So we have a boy who cried wolf scenario here. And the irony is, and here's where the irony comes in, is that in 2016, um, Hillary Clinton lost significant states by uh, far less margins than Biden won uh, this election cycle. And it was proven by Republican Senate that the Russians did interfere. So if anybody had more of a reason to allege that the election was rigged, it was probably Hillary Clinton. Hey, in all right, Rich, I'm up against it. A couple of things. Hillary Clinton never admitted she lost. She made countless excuses. She embarrassed herself and her family, which is pretty hard to do as a Clinton with so many embarrassing things, including this next Je- this Jeffrey Epstein thing came up. It was part of her griping and constant sniping and the constant biting at the president that he's illegitimate uh, that led to this type of anger now and distrust that we're all seeing with our election system. I'm not thrilled with this 46-minute rant, but Hillary Clinton is not a good example of how to lose. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. It's 
information you want, truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. There have been over 2,000 people died yesterday. There are 99,000 people with COVID-19 in the hospital. There are between 100 and 200,000 new infections each day, and there are 270,000 deaths. That's serious stuff. So when someone wants to temporarily close down a bar, that's not a bad thing to do. What about all bars? What about in major states? And what about asking to do it for eight, nine months? What if you take certain precautions because you have a vaccine coming? By the time the vaccine gets here, what's going to be left of these small businesses? Hundreds of thousands will not come back. It's not a matter of closing a bar for weekends or getting rid of ladies' night. Mike Levin, former Secretary of Health and Human Services from 2005 to 2009, three-term governor of Utah. Uh, Mike, welcome back. Thank you. Um, uh, these are tough questions. I, if you're going to ask me all those questions, I, we, we ought to get started. I know. We better get started. First off, we know about the dangers. We've been living with it. We all basically could take a course in this and write a paper on it. So what do you, if lockdowns have proven to be uh, – not the overall answer. What is? So I, I think we need to think about these, you know, the word lockdown or these uh, slowdowns or how, however you choose to define them as being a medical countermeasure. It's kind of a blunt object, but when you don't have anything else, uh, being able to apply that as a medical countermeasure uh, proves to be effective. However, like any medical countermeasure, if you have a knee operation and they give you a painkiller, they tell you, look, don't take this too long or don't take too much of it because the side effects of that could have more yep. a more damaging impact than the, the actual pain that you're, you're trying to cure. So you have to use it sparingly in targeted ways uh, or you end up with – uh, things ha- unintended consequences, and that's just the reality of what we're dealing with here. You, it, it's a tool. We ought to be using it where we can, where it's effective. If you use it too often in too much abundance, you're going to create unintended side effects. I, I feel uh, much better if uh, some of these uh, mayors and governors were forced to go through the same strife that these business people are when they make these decisions. They're still getting paid, but you tell a bar owner that they did the protocols, no one's tested positive, they've done a good job, been responsible. Well, you shut down anyway? That's a tough pill to swallow. It is a tough pill, and we're all trying to figure this out. Um, I mean, I, uh, I'm in business, and I have, uh, I'm facing these things every day. And um, I know I'm very sympathetic with uh, the point of view you've, you've related but nevertheless, as you heard Dr. Fauci say, this is serious business, and we have to find. It. We're just going to have to keep working at it until we work our way through it. Gratefully, so, we've got help on the way with the vaccine. Right, and I'll talk about the vaccines in a second. I want you to hear what the CDC director said about school, and if the CDC director is saying this about school, shouldn't mayors pay attention? Cut for. Again, I've been a big advocate that, and I believe this in my heart, that the public health interests kids in K through 12 is to have them in face-to-face learning for all the reasons we talked about, whether that's where they get their mental health services, where they get food substance programs, where that's where they um, get, um, sadly, that's where we do uh, get reporting from child abuse. Uh, This is where they get significant socialization. Uh, Obviously, we've had issues with substance abuse and suicide, as you know, 
I just think it's healthy for these kids to be in school. And the countermeasure is that their rate of infection is so low and their and the symptoms that they uh, symptoms and the chance of fatality are so remote that it's really more dangerous to keep them out. Why don't people realize that, like the mayor of New York City? Well, I can't defend that. I don't know. But I do know this, that this is a conundrum, and there are two sides to the story, and neither of them are perfect uh, solutions. However, the thing that can ultimately solve this is the vaccine, and we'll get to that, as you said, later. But uh, right now, we're just trying to struggle our way through it and minimize the damage of this uh, and, until such time as we're able to bring some real uh, uh, solutions like vaccine. Uh, Mike Levitt with his former Secretary of Health and Human Services. Uh, he did this job for four years, did the job. But now the vaccine, we're going to have one out. It's supposed to be improved within the next two weeks, uh, followed by Moderna and followed maybe by Johnson & Johnson. And I think the Johnson & Johnson needs one shot. The other two need uh, two shots, three weeks, I think, in between them. So, uh, uh, Mr. Secretary or Governor or Mike, uh, right now, people are wondering why the uh, FDA is taking longer uh, in the U.S. than the U.K., who approved this earlier this week. So, look, we, the only thing that could make this worse is if we put vaccines into the arms of people and it turned out they weren't safe. That would make this worse. So I think everybody is impatient. I am too. I like I, I'm 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 going to be vaccinated the first chance I get. Some people are afraid of it. I'm not. Uh, but I also want the assurance that it's being safe and that no corners are being cut. And uh, that means another week or two. I'm okay with that. Have you, if you're the uh, FDA, haven't you been monitoring this anyway? I mean, none of this is going to surprise you if it just shows up at your door. Correct, because this is an emergency situation. No no question about that. Uh, We've been—they've been doing, I think, a remarkable job in trying to bring this uh, into the marketplace. I'll I'll just a brief story. Um, When I first became acquainted with the power of pandemics, uh, a young colleague of mine brought in two books. He put one on the table and said, "You need to understand this," and it was called *The Great Influenza*, and it was about the pandemic of 1918. The second book was a two-inch thick government report, and it was a government investigation into the swine flu vaccine, which was hurried to market in the in the 70s, and a lot of people were injured and died as a result of it. And he said, if we don't get this right, there's going to be one of those pointing to the government investigation, and it's going to be about you. And that got my attention, and I'm sure it's got the attention of the scientists who are trying to be who are putting their names, reputations, and uh, on the on the line. And they don't want to be at some point in time not only being investigated, but have the memory that they didn't do their job correctly. Understood. So, having said that, being that it didn't, I think the mumps was the fastest four years. And this took, what, nine months to get it? And it seems a little bit different. They're not shooting antibodies into your body. It's kind of calling on your own immune system to act. So having said that, who should get it first? Are you all for the first responders, the doctors, the nurses, the fire, uh, the cops who are actually getting this at a dizzying rate, too? I, I am. I, I am. I mean, I... 
I've actually been in the position of having to set these priorities. Uh, the pandemic that I was instrumental in preparing for did not materialize to the degree that this one has. But you're going to have a limited supply of life-saving vaccine, and it will unfold, and you've got to use the greatest wisdom possible to say who should get this first. And this is the application of real wisdom, and there'll be differences of opinion on it. But over time, we'll all get a chance. Uh, first of all, it ought to be those people who are putting themselves in harm's way. So are you for seniors being next and those with underlying conditions? I am. I, I think that's the next uh, logical step. I mean, you look at the vast majority of those people who are uh, suffering uh, death, and it's coming from its older people with underlying health conditions. And if we, you know, if, if I'm, uh, not, if I don't have an underlying health condition, but my parents do, I, I want them to have it. Do you believe the governors uh, are the best ones to to do this? In other words, he, get them the get them the vaccine and let them distribute it with the advisory coming from Washington. How does it work? Well, that's the way our system works. Uh, it's the way our constitution is set up. Uh, public health is a local and state, a local and state um, uh, practice. Uh, the CDC has the job of collecting information and providing them with the best available situational awareness, and I think they're doing a good job of that. And I think the way that we balance the need for, and I'd, I'd rather have a local official making those decisions than I would the president making them simply because I don't think they can know in Washington, D.C., all of the local characteristics, or they may actually have a philosophy that's different. But public health in our country is a local and state-administered uh, effort. I love the way they—I guess UPS and FedEx are going to be helping out, and there's, there's planes ready to go, and the military is going to be involved. And I love the idea of making this vaccine ahead of time, knowing— if it didn't work, it would have been a waste of money, but it would have been a risk we're worth taking. Was that something in the books when you were in charge? Listen, I, when you get in a situation, you have got to innovate. And I think we have to say that this country has innovated in a big, big way. This has been all hands on deck, and no one in history has done anything like this. This ought to be looked at as one of the great responses of the pro public sector, the private sector, and, and literally a, a collaborative effort from around the world uh, to do this in nine months is is just a, a, a huge uh, accomplishment and one that will have the history will study. You know, uh, uh, we're talking to Mike Levitt here. Was, he ran Health and Human Services for uh, four years and feared this would happen one day. It didn't happen during his reign, but it's obviously happening now. But the other thing is this is the free market. So, for example, the why, the, one of the main reasons I feel great taking the vaccine is because Pfizer would be ruined if this didn't work. And Johnson & Johnson would be ruined. And just that pressure on the market from investors putting the best scientists, putting the best technology forward, knowing what's at stake. And I love the concept of biotech where, where people who save lives or extend them become rich. I am fine with that because you deserve – you took the risk. You, you took the science, you brought it to market, and you changed lives and saved lives. I love this model. Well, it's a very effective model. We ought to remember it also includes public dollars. 
Uh, Pfizer chose not to take it. They were well enough financed that they could, and they said they didn't want to have the the um, uh, have to deal with the public procurement issues. Others have been a little slower as a result of that, but most of them have had. Have, this has been made possible by a combination of the force that you talked about and also the ability to take massive risks. As you point out, the ability to manufacture a half a billion doses of vaccine in advance, knowing that part of that might go to waste, that's not a risk that a lot of private companies would would take or could take, but you can share the risk across taxpayers. And that's a very good illustration of how government and the private sector can and should work together to solve these issues. And, you know, I'll be pointed out, most of the distribution will come through private sector distribution companies that already have trucks going to hospitals, clinics, and and uh, medical facilities every day. So if they had, if the government had to organize this all again, we could never do it this fast. Wow, very interesting. And um, I keep uh, Anthony Fauci says we should achieve herd immunity, which is seventy-one to seventy-five percent uh, by the summer. Can you put that into layman's terms? Well, there's look. The, what we're doing is we're trying to give get people to the point where they, it's like they've had the disease. And what a vaccine is is that we actually take a little bit of the virus, you change it chemically, and then you inject it into the body of a person. Uh, and the, what you're doing by changing it chemically is that you're, try, you're, you're minimizing the impact of it on the patient, and you're also uh, trying to neuter it, basically, so it can't replicate itself and pass it from person to person. You know, once you've done that, what happens is the virus runs out of hosts. A virus, the way it's made, its only purpose is to replicate itself and to go from one person to another person. It's its entire program. It's its entire purpose, and it's really focused on that. And so you have to interrupt it. And the way you interrupt it is to have more people have antibodies. And once you've achieved that, they can, and it has no, the virus has no more hosts it can go into, then it starts to die. And ultimately it gets, as I heard one scientist say, it gets small enough that you can drown it in a bathtub. And when that happens, it goes away. Until that time, you're just minimizing the risk. All right. And uh, for people listening right now, intelligent people that said, I'm going to let this thing go through a little bit. I'm not going to be one of the first to take this vaccine. I'm a little worried because, uh, like you said, it's so fast, so quick, and, and they're worried it might be politicized. What do you say to them? I just tell them I'm going to get it. <laughs> they can decide what that means. Um, everybody has their own risk tolerance. Everybody has their own set of priorities and situations. Um, I, I think more people will want it than have access to it, and there will be a supply and demand that's uh, heavy on the demand and, and still limited on the supply. As we get that going forward, this is another thing about, as you point out, markets. Um, if people don't want it, uh, there's pro- probably going to be plenty of people who do. And in time, I think as people see it prove out, we'll all get there. Go get it, uh, Mike. I love your optimism. Mike Levitt, former secretary of HHS and the three-term governor of Governor of Utah. Uh, thanks so much, Mike. Appreciate it. Thank you. You got it. Uh, back with your phone calls just a moment. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. The United Kingdom gave emergency approval to Pfizer's coronavirus vaccine, becoming the first Western country to do so. Britain wins. Looks like they're going to have to rewrite Hamilton. They'll be like, you'll be back for a vaccine. You must kneel in front of the Queen. Well, that's true, except we still came up with it. They just approved it first. Uh, So I don't really think it's going to be effective, but James Corden continues to be the best guy, most talented guy in late-night television. I believe CBS 60 Minutes did a feature on him this past weekend, which I don't know if they would have done the feature had he been on another channel, but we'll have to look into that. I'm going to put Pete on that story. Uh, Pete, drop everything. Uh, John, you're listening to the Fox News Radio app in Florida. Hey, John. Hey, how are you? Good. What's on your mind? Well, I don't agree with anything that Ed Rollins said, and I think a lot of people probably don't. You know, the So let me just review it because that was a couple hours ago. What he said is okay. he does not like Linwood. He does not like he likes to, it does not like Linwood working on this case. Doesn't have an election background, nor does Rudy who hasn't practiced in forty years. And so far, he has not seen a strong case in either situation. He said, "If you're going to do this, you got to get a stronger team out there." Well, the problem is nobody else has stepped up. Nobody else has volunteered. A lot of people have been scared away from the case. So you kind of have to play with the team that you've got. I wouldn't and, know that. Yeah. I, I just know lawyers. I know a lot of conservative lawyers. I don't imagine. I don't know if they're election experts that would have stepped up, and especially with the amount of money that they seem to have. But go ahead. Well, I just think the circumstantial evidence in the various uh, swing states is – pretty overwhelming. And then the direct evidence is as well. They've got hundreds of affidavits, literally hundreds, signed by people under penalty of perjury. And nobody's really, you know, publicizing what they're saying. I mean, there are a few news networks that actually publicize these, the, the content of these affidavits. So it seems to me there's plenty of evidence. It's just a matter of getting it out. All right. You know, we'll play some of it next hour. Uh, go to uh, BrianKillMeatShow.com. You can listen anytime, anywhere, and keep it here. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Corey Lewandowski had the coronavirus. He was helping out the president in Philadelphia. Uh, he'll be joining us in about 11, at about 1134, at 34 after the top of the hour, depending on your time zone. And then Andy McCarthy will be here. In fact, he's just getting out of the shower. He wants me to buy a little bit of time. He is a legal expert. He'll talk about how the president uh, had a four-hour case uh, made by Rudy Giuliani and others in uh, Michigan yesterday. Today, he's got a team in Nevada, and we know he gave a 45-minute speech yesterday on Facebook. It streamed. What does he think about these legal challenges? I mean, these affidavits are disturbing, and these people are putting their freedom on the line in saying this really happened, and I'll sign over this document. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. 
Well, I think a lot of it will depend on by how Biden behaves. Is he going to sort of fall in line with the radicals in the Democratic Party that are already insisting that right out of the gate we do the clean, you know, the Green New Deal and all this other stuff? Or is he going to try to get things done um, that both sides can agree on? Well, that's interesting. Biden speaks to The New York Times and lays out his goals. And just in case he doesn't achieve them, he knows exactly who to blame. Marco Rubio's party, the Republicans. Number two. Unless you have the IQ of a root vegetable, you know how important this election is. Why do you think President Obama and Mr. Biden are going to Georgia to campaign? They're going to treat this as a second referendum on President Trump and his accomplishments. And time's running out as the president puts forth his case to try to get 2020 to be his election win instead of loss, but makes it clear he's coming back in 2024. We're going to look at his hopes and his legacy and how it's all tied to what Senator Kennedy was talking about, the races in Georgia. Number one. I think what's happening in Staten Island is sort of indicative of the old expression, you know, you could forgive people for being wrong or even for being stupid, but hypocrisy is a hard thing to get over. And I cannot get over it. Either can you. Lockdown, backlash, and hypocrisy, mass mandates, curfews, stay-at-home orders. They're doing more damage to this nation than the China virus. And finally, businessmen and women are standing up and speaking out, as it happened in Staten Island last night. Also, some good news about an aid package. And that aid package of $900 billion, it's a it's a bipartisan deal that we talked to Senator uh, Senator uh, Cassidy yesterday of Louisiana about. It looks like the uh, Schumer and Pelosi are going to sign it. So if you can get McConnell to sign it and the president to sign it, they're in. We'll see. And this is Treasury Secretary. Andy McCarthy joins us now. Hey, Andy. Brian, how are you? Good. Uh, Fox News contributor, former CIA assistant U.S. attorney uh, for the Southern District of New York. I thought about you because you're an ultimate. You're, you're a true blue New Yorker. And when you saw Staten Island rise up and speak out for a bar just for the opportunity to open – and then they arrest Danny Presti, who runs the uh, – he's co-owner of Max Pub over in Staten Island. And then you had thousands go out in a freezing cold night last night and just say uh, – and chant their support while sheriffs stood in front of the door. Can you believe it's come to this with the coronavirus? Uh, no. You know, I mean, I, I, I do believe, Ryan, that – you know, you people get the government that they um, elect, and you know, for whatever reason, in New York, as people's individual liberty is suffocated, um, you know, progressively worse and worse over time. They, the government in New York City, actually is more repressive. So the people keep voting back into power, the people who do exactly the kind of things that are being protested against. And at a certain point, people do have enough, uh, and they obviously react to it. And we're seeing a lot of that across the country in connection with the coronavirus, not not just economic liberty, but, you know, people's freedom to worship, freedom to speak. Uh, so it's a tumultuous time in the country, which is why, you know, nothing occurs in a vacuum. So uh, everything kind of feeds off its, itself. And, you know, all of the uh, all of the conflict that we're having coming out of the election is ha- is not happening on a blank canvas. You know, it's happening in a country where there's already a lot of anger. So 
probably not surprising that the people were as on edge as they are. Uh, absolutely. And when you tell people basically for the nine months, most of those nine months, you'd be shut down or limited. And then the checks start, bill, you know, the bills start piling up. And then the your landlord wants his check. And you wonder, are you going to shut me down again? Not only are you going to limit me, I have to buy plexiglass and I have to take tables out. Now you tell me I can't even stay open. Here's Danny Presti after he'd been arrested last night for opening up anyway. Cut six. The sheriff's on the scene. Um, they've created a blockade in front. They won't let anybody in. Um, they said they're not going to leave anytime soon. Uh, we do want to make clear, though, that they are not the NYPD. These are the New York City sheriffs. So NYPD has worked with us. Um, really good guys. Um, we support them fully. This is the New York City Sheriff Department, and they have created a blockade and will not let anybody in the place except for myself, Keith, and Lou. So he's got a, a lawyer there. And by the way, you mentioned it's a very liberal state, but it, it's really the city, not in Staten Island. So they don't even, they probably, not one person probably voted for uh, de Blasio and, and Cuomo and all his arrogance. But I think this is going to happen all over the country. When you see these mayors in Cabo telling us in, uh, from Austin, Texas, we're going to lock down soon. The governor, obviously, eating in restaurants while telling all these restaurants they've got to shut down, take out only. Mayors, too. I can go through the, the mayor of Colorado, don't travel while he travels. That, that's going to add. I think these, these businesses, these gyms are saying, I'm going to go down with a fight. And if you do they have any legal recourse being this is still America? Yeah, they have the courts, and uh, happily uh, taking its cue from the Supreme Court, I think that the the federal courts are exhibiting um, a, a an openness to listening to these cases and acting on them that is unusual in a crisis situation. The way crises usually have worked in our history, Brian, which are mostly wartime yeah. stories. Um, Courts are usually inclined to take a hands-off approach while the crisis is going on and give the executive a, a wide berth to deal with it. And then what usually happens is these cases get resolved after the crisis is over, and they may set new norms for the next crisis so things move in the right direction. But it's cold comfort to the people in the here and now as their rights are being uh, violated. But this is a different kind of a, an issue because it's a health issue. It's not like a, a terrorist attack or a, or a wartime situation. And it's happening over a long period of time. And it's clear that, you know, the, the longer it goes on and the better we get at understanding it and treating it to the point where I think now the average uh, death age from a, from a COVID uh, infection is now 80 so a lot of the people who are being suffocated here in terms of their rights, and again, it's not just their economic rights, are not people who are uh, in serious danger of, of becoming lethal or, or uh, you know, victims who are killed by this disease. Right. And in the meantime, their lives are being destroyed. So you, know, you can only go on with that a certain period of time. And I think as we've discussed over the months, I always get asked about this stuff because I'm the lawyer and I was a prosecutor and, you know, this seems like legal stuff and are, are people going to be arrested or can people sue? But I've always thought that the the bottom line here is the, the politics are more important than the law in the sense that there's no way that a government can p 
possibly enforce all of these restrictions that they're trying to enforce. So the only way that you can get people to cooperate is if you get public buy-in and you convince people that what you're doing really is the right thing to do and really is in their interest. And once you start enforcing that in a very capricious way, or it becomes obvious that the people who are trying to enforce these restrictions are not living by them themselves, then you're going to get mm. people very hot. And I think that's exactly what's happening now. Yeah. You can have an autonomous zone in Seattle and they get people going to help them. They set up an autonomous zone in, Seattle, in, in Staten Island and they arrest them. Unbelievable. Right. So I got to bring you to the president's case. He's got a lot of affidavits and individuals who have seen and testified about some disturbing things. Here's an example. This is guy Greg Setrum. He was on. He talked about 70,000 unopened mail ballots. He was on talking about what happened in Pennsylvania, what he witnessed with Sean. Cut 41. The mail-in ballots, uh, we had to file a court order uh, through the uh, Amistad Law Project, helped us, uh, the Thomas More Society helped us uh, uh, file a, a lawsuit. Uh, we had to get an order from a uh, common pleas judge. Um, he allowed us to get in for five minutes every two hours. It took us three days to enforce the order, even though it only took a day to get the order. By the time we got back there, all the mail-in ballots had already been counted. We had a universe of 126,000 mail-in ballots, 120,000 of which had been counted. When we got back there, myself and um, Democrat poll watchers as well, uh, we found 70,000 unopened mail-in ballots. And there's a lot of these different stories. Uh, are you getting? Are you convinced that these people's sincerity? They're signing affidavits, so under penalty of perjury. What what are the, what are these uh, what is all these testimony doing in Michigan and Pennsylvania and now today Nevada? Well, you know, first of all, I think it's very appropriate that the the legislatures and, and we had a big hearing in Michigan um, yesterday, and I think you and I talked about this uh, a couple of days ago. It's much different to have a hearing in a legislative setting that's actually an adversarial hearing where people are under oath. Uh, and get cross-examined and some of the stuff that's go gone on up until now, like the thing in Pennsylvania about a week ago, which was just a, you know, basically a rally in a, in yeah. a hotel ballroom. So these things obviously have to be probed by the legislatures. The question in the here and now is, is it enough to get the election uh, either overturned or to prove that the result is so tainted that there has to be some remedy for it. And, you know, that's the kind of thing I think you have to go to court over. And they haven't done that in court. You know, the, the legislative thing, I think, is on a different track, which is we need to get all this information so that we can fix this for the next time so that it doesn't happen again. And obviously, these people need to be uh, cross-examined. I, I think, as you point out, uh, a lot of them sound like they're very sincere, and they have filed these claims under penalty of perjury. So, uh, you know, that certainly should get your attention, and they ought to be taken seriously. But, you know, as far as this particular election is concerned, time's a waste to do anything about it because, as, as we've discussed, December 8th, you know, what is it, a week from uh, – Yeah. It's Monday. Uh, Monday is Days December 8th, I think. So, yeah. So, so uh, you know, December 8th is the day that uh, – the, the uh, under federal law, if the states have certified under law that was in place before the election took place, 
then that's the end of the matter. And again, you know, I think you could probably get that extended to December 14th if a, if you went into court and you had a compelling enough showing that a judge was willing to stay the certification and the and the appointment of the electors. But it can't go later than December 14th because that's the day that the electors have to vote mm -hmm. by statute. And if you don't vote, then the state runs the risk of losing their electoral votes. So a lot of people have said, you know, William Barr, who I think is maybe the president's MVP. I, I, maybe you agree with me. Maybe right. you don't. They, they say he, the president's so mad at him, he could get fired. And a lot of people right. have called up this show and said, why doesn't the Department of Justice do this investigation and find out for themselves that if there's enough there? Why don't they? Why does anyone think they're not? I mean, the one thing that I think you can derive from what the attorney general said is that, you know, they took pains, Brian, after he made his statements to the Associated Press to put out an, to put out a statement that night that said they're not making a final definitive statement about this, which makes clear they're still investigating it. Um, but, you know, at the same time, you have to recognize that it's much harder to make a criminal case than a civil case. In a criminal case, to bring charges, you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that mm -hmm. there was criminal fraud. They haven't been able to prove that in civil cases where the standard of proof is much less. And secondly, the Justice Department's practice and anyone who does a competent investigations practice is not to announce the progress of your investigation while the investigation is going on. They're not supposed to talk about this stuff until they're ready to charge someone. But they did. But he did but, by saying, I haven't found anything. That means that. Well, I, yeah, I think that at that point, because of what the president was saying, they had to come out and clarify that they are investigating. The president said over the weekend that they were missing in action as if they were sitting around doing nothing, which was, which was frankly unbelievable given how much criticism Barr got in October for directing the U.S. attorneys across the country to look into substantial allegations of election fraud. So, you know, the thought that these guys were sitting around doing nothing was defied by, you know, all of the objective evidence, including the things that Barr said that he got a lot of criticism for. And I think they had to they felt like they had to come out and clarify that they're not mm. sitting on their hands. But at the same time, you know, they're, if they're, if you're going to speak, you have to give an accurate version of what you know. And what he's saying is at the moment they're not seeing that he didn't say we're not seeing any fraud because there's fraud in every election. Uh, what he's saying is they're not seeing the level of fraud that would gotcha. be sufficient to overturn the result of the election. And he specifically addressed mm -hmm. the Dominion claim about the software and saying that, you know, they looked into that and they can't substantiate it. Andy McCarthy, oh, we got to come back and have you talk about this Durham special counsel and what it means, because I know you wrote about that. But I just uh, is this election thing. We need experts. We don't need uh, cheerleaders or detractors. We just need to find out uh, the facts. And you're the guy. Uh, Andy, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. You got it. Uh, listen, we come back. It's your turn. one 408 from Houston, Texas, to York, Pennsylvania, uh, to uh, Matthews, Virginia. We'll be getting to all your calls. And then Corey Lewandowski, this is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. 
Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, let's go out to Arkansas. Roger, let's on KFPW, where we find uh, where we find you. Uh, hey, Roger. Brian, uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, back at you. I know we got to get into that mode now. What's on your mind? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm ready for it. But uh, yeah, at your uh, guest you had on Ed Rollins. I, I I agree with what he said about President Trump's visit to Georgia. He ought to stick to helping those. Yep. Uh, uh, people down there, and that's what he should do. But he, in the course of saying that, he said that uh, President Trump needs to move on because, okay, and he mentions that he got screwed, but all right, you know, next time. But I wanted to remind, well, I was reminded that it was how many million of us voted for President Trump? 74. Uh, yeah, we got screwed too. Yep. And I am not, uh, I'm not so sure I want. President Trump to move on. Seventy-five percent of the American public who voted for Trump, seventy-five percent of his voters uh, think he won. So you're you're in a large majority. But the way it works, there's a timeline on everything. So unless you can prove widespread abuse in the, all these different states, and you got six or seven different battles, uh, there is a finish line. So and, and these affidavits are real, but not the numbers you need. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Monday and Tuesday, what we've been talking about is some of these outside independent groups contacting people. And what they said is they said they were using our voter file. But that's not true. Here's something that came to our house yesterday. We got three of them, all from the same organization. And it's to my son, Brenton J. Raffensperger, who passed away two years ago, almost two and a half years ago. He's not on our voter files here in Georgia. We checked. So uh, that was Secretary of State of Georgia uh, under a lot of scrutiny from the President of the United States in particular for not cracking down on how some of this mail-in voting was done. But that Secretary of State was talking about the runoff election. Now he's looking into investigations into America Votes, Vote Forward, and this new Georgia project founded by Stacey Abrams. Yep, same one. The one who has not admitted she lost the governor's race. And the chair was this guy named Raphael Warnock. Yeah, he wants to be the next senator from Georgia. And there are 23 investigators working on 250 different cases. Now they're looking into it. Joining us now is Corey Lewandowski. Last time we saw Corey, he was knee-deep in the Pennsylvania investigation to see if there's any chicanery going on there. Uh, He's the president's first campaign manager. Corey, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me back, and uh, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, Back at you. First off, how are you feeling? 
You know, I feel great, actually. Uh, you know, I came down with COVID. I think I caught it when I was up in Pennsylvania campaigning. Uh, you know, caught it and ended up spending a week at home and then, unfortunately, gave it to my wife. Uh, we ended up self-isolating, but now we're all feeling good, and uh, we had a nice, quiet Thanksgiving, and now we're ready to get back to it. Uh, back to it. So do you believe the president's doing the right thing right now? Look, I believe the president is entitled to and every American is entitled to making sure that every legal vote that has been cast should be counted and every illegal vote that has been cast should not be counted. And, you know, Brian, you look at this just on its face. You see some of the numbers that we're seeing, the increase in uh, acceptance of absentee balloting. Uh, what we're seeing is the mail-in balloting, you know, in the last election had about a 3% return rejection rate. Now, in Georgia specifically, we're seeing 0.001%. So either someone isn't doing their job, the machine and the verification system is different. When you see a massive increase in voter participation via the mail and a statistically significant decrease in the rejection of balloting, uh, the two just don't add up. And I don't know where that correlation directly falls, but I do think that probably – uh, they were not as judicious as they should be in reviewing the signature verification on those ballots that were mailed in as they had been just two years ago. Right. And that's just it. If they don't match, they get tossed. If you don't sign it, they get tossed. And if there's a lot of if they're very permissive in the analysis, that changes the vote. And you're just looking at percentages in the past. But some of the things you're looking at in Georgia right now, sending ballots, absentee ballots to people who haven't lived at the address until 1994. Of course, to dead people. You just heard the tragedy as he talked about this passing of his son uh, two years ago. And they're all over Stacey Abrams. Evidently, they're, they're mailing these ballots all across the country, some unsolicited. So I, I wonder if they, they have to – there's got to be a penalty for people who are going to take this risk, correct? A felony, a $100,000 fine, whatever? You know, here's what they're doing. I, I guarantee you what they're doing is they're going out and they're buying consumer data. Uh, consumer data is readily available off the Internet. People buy it all the time. You can buy people who have hunting licenses and, and so many other different things. And what you do if you are on the left, you go and you find a series of lists of people who maybe they belong to the Sierra Club or they belong to some other leftist organization, and you simply acquire all their names. You don't bother bumping it up against the voter file. You do a very cursory search against the voter file, and then you just mail every Everybody unsolicited. By the way, there's nothing illegal about doing that, and it's been done many times in the past. Traditionally, it's done when it comes to voter registration efforts where either the right or the left devises a model based on your consumer information. Let me give you an example. If you subscribe to the Wall Street Journal, you live in a home that maybe is worth four or $500,000, and uh, you drive some fancy car, all of which that information is publicly available if you want to go buy it, then my guess is someone on the right would probably try and send you a request to fill out to, to become a registered voter if they don't see your name on the voter rolls. I think the left is doing exactly that. They don't care about the money. They don't care about whether you are a registered voter. They don't care if you're alive or dead because it's just a numbers game. So the more, the more mail they can dump into the system, the higher likelihood it is they're going to get a return. Look, a 3% return in a system like this is considered statistically significant. The left doesn't care if it's 3% because a 1% return for them is enough to move the needle in an election like we have going on in Georgia. Absolutely. So what did you find in Philadelphia, just offhand, as you started inquiring, maybe for the first time in your career? You started looking at it and saying, how did this vote take place? What went on here? Would you sign this affidavit? What did you find? And, you know, we know Philadelphia is a very liberal area, but that's where you were. 
I, I was, Brian. And what we saw was a couple things. Uh, immediately after the polls closed, they started counting the ballots in the city of Philadelphia uh, just 24 hours a day. They, they didn't stop, which is nothing illegal about that. But they seemed, even in the world of COVID, to, to disregard all the rules, all the social distancing things. And they just counted and counted and counted. And they counted up until the point that Joe Biden finally took the lead. And as soon as Joe Biden was in the lead in Philadelphia – uh, through the absentee ballots, Allegheny County and Philadelphia County, they stopped counting. It was amazing. But more than that, what we asked for and what the law required was for individuals to be able to go in and witness, not get in the way of the counting, but to be able to witness it, to be able to stand there. And I had a court order from the Commonwealth Court, which is the equivalent of the appellate court in the state of Pennsylvania, which gave me permission to walk into that room. To, to stand six feet from all of the activities which are taking place, from the opening of the ballots and the envelopes to the sorting to the counting and then putting them back in the cages. And uh, when I went to go present that valid court order, uh, the, the police officer explained to me that I had no way to enforce the order, and if I crossed the line, I would be arrested. I said, this is a valid court order giving me permission. And they said, good luck with enforcement. Go back to the judge and hold me in contempt. So we were clearly kept away from what was transpiring in that room, and they counted as quickly as possible until Joe Biden got in the lead, and then they immediately stopped counting. Well, that's disturbing. And those are like the, the, the stories that we hear in Michigan, these people, countless testimony, went four hours yesterday. In Nevada, I interviewed Chris Perdome, who works with the uh, GOP out there, and they said they found dead votes and duplicate votes and multiple votes. So that's going to be exposed today. The question is, is it, is it the tens of thousands you need and the attorney general doesn't seem to think so yet. So I want you to hear, first off, what do you think of the president's legal team? Is, it, is this legal team experienced enough to get to the bottom of these uh, mysteries? Look, Brian, I think, and, and the truth is, and in full disclosure, I think everybody would now admit this, understanding where we are today, almost a month following the election, has shed light on the fact that the team was probably not ready with their Election Day operations activities on election night. And maybe nobody saw this coming, or maybe they were ill-prepared, or maybe it was a combination of both. That is not an attack on Rudy Giuliani or anybody else who's serving. But what we saw immediately following the Election Day was trying to get all these attorneys on board, trying to get these firms registered, and clearly they weren't prepped uh, for the activity as they started it on Election Day. And, and I'm not looking to point fingers, but I think the outside observer would say that maybe on Election Day they weren't ready to go the way they should have been. So I want you to hear Lynn Wood, who's in Georgia. Tell me if you think this is a good message. Cut 30, 31. If Kelly Loeffler wants your vote, if David Perdue wants your vote, they've got to earn it. They've got to demand publicly repeatedly, consistently, Brian Kemp call a special session of the Georgia legislature. And if they do not do it, if Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue do not do it, they have not earned your vote. Don't you give it to them. Why would you go back and vote in another rigged election? For God's sake, fix it. Uh, Thanks. You if know, I'm a Democrat, hey, Brian, let me let me just say, you know, Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue, who are United States senators, have absolutely no authorization or jurisdiction to have the governor do anything when it comes to a special session of the Georgia state legislature. And for for someone to put the criteria of making someone say something that you want them to say in order to vote for them. Uh, is tantamount to blackmail. That's crazy talk. 
The truth is what's at stake in the Georgia election cycle is our republic. And what I mean by that, Brian, is if the two Democrats win in that state, then the, the Democrats will control the House of Representatives, the United States Senate, and the White House. That is a very dangerous combination, and what we know the Democrats' agenda is is to potentially pack the Supreme Court, change the filibuster rules, roll back all of the great policies of this administration. Our last line of defense for the republic for the next two years is in the state of Georgia and in that special election. And if you think that making uh, Senator Perdue and Senator Loeffler say something to Governor Kemp is the right model, you're clearly out of touch with what is at stake in the big picture. Well, I mean, you, you, know, you know the president well. If that's his representative, the guy's got to be reined in. And I think he voted—Ed Rollins just told me he voted for Barack Obama twice. So what the hell is he doing? So it just—it blows my mind that that's the guy with you, you know, who's dressing like President Trump. Look like he's an imitator. But uh, it just—some it just, of the things that, that, that emerge are just uh, stunning because— Clearly, the Republicans have the better candidates. These are two flawed individuals. I mean, Mike Warnock loves Reverend Wright, who hates America. Re- Warnock, who is somebody who says you can't serve in the military and worship God. Warnock, who came out, uh, basically says, I'm for the new Green Deal. That's what you're running against? That's a layup if you're a Republican in Georgia. It's so true, Brian. Look, these are not two moderate Democrats running. These are two individuals, even like the guy who used to serve as the U.S. Senator from Alabama for a brief period, okay? Guys who are kind of moderate, who we think Doug we can work with. Doug Jones or even Manchin. Uh, you know, these, this isn't them. This is the far extreme left of the Democratic Party. These are the individuals who make Elizabeth Warren look like she's a conservative. These are the people who make Bernie Sanders look like he can work with the Republicans on a regular basis. These are the two individuals, even though Kamala Harris was voted the most liberal U.S. senator, would outpace her by a factor of 10. I know. That's what the truth is. Brad Parscale has uh, reemerged. By the way, where's Bill Stepien? You know, I, I haven't talked to Bill, and part of that is on me, Brian, only because— No, but he hasn't like been public at all, Corey. I know you've been—you've you, had the virus. But is, is yeah, he look, not for you know, I, Bill, as you know, Bill is not a forward-facing kind of guy. He's a guy who operates behind the scenes. He's a tactician. He is, he's, he's got his head down. He's trying to, I'm sure, oversee okay. some of this strategy. Uh, but he has never been a forward-facing guy. Brad Parscale has emerged— Last time we saw him, uh, he was getting arrested, and he sat down with Martha. He used to he ran 2016. He had a key role, and he was running the 2020 reelect when it all seemed to fall apart. Cut 23. So, if that were the case, if he loses, yeah, do you believe he should run in 2024? I don't know if it's my opinion what he should do, but I wish he would. I think there's still a lot of story to be told. Do I hope he makes a few little tweaks? Yes. And if he wants to call me, I'll tell him what I think those tweaks are. If he doesn't want to call me, I wish him the best of luck. Um, I think he's the best thing for this country, and I'll, and I'll be MAGA for life. And he also went on to say this, Corey, uh, about what the president did wrong. I think it was the decision on COVID to go for opening the economy versus public empathy. We had a difference on this. I thought we should have public empathy. I think people were scared. I, I walked around this people and walk, watched people walk around me. Not, not like two years ago, and they just don't walk next to me because I'm Brad Parscale, but walk around me because I got a mask on now, and they just don't want to get COVID. I can see how waitresses stand a little farther from the table. People are scared. And I think, I think if he would have been publicly, publicly empathetic, he would have won by a landslide then. I think he could have leaned into it instead of run away from it. What are your thoughts about that? 
Well, look, you know, there's a lot of people who have revisionist history of what took place in 2016, Brian. Uh, just so we're crystal clear, Brad Parscale was not the campaign manager in 2016, regardless of what he said. Uh, you know, I served as the campaign manager and Kellyanne Conway. Those are the only two people who ever had that title in the 2016 campaign. And Paul Manafort was the campaign chairman. Uh, Brad's role uh, was to work on the digital side. And I don't think Brad even met Donald Trump until sometime in April or May of 2016 after the campaign had been up and running for a year. So this notion that Brad was the campaign manager in 2016, I mean, I'm going to just dissuade uh, the American people from that because that's not the truth. And, you know, I understand that, you know, when you get fired and, you know, your life kind of falls apart, you want to be retrospective and blame other people for what happens. Hey, Brian, look, I've been in that spot. And a lot of people who work for Trump have been in that spot of being fired. It's how you handle it. And you know what? I never went out and, and, and bashed other people who I worked with on the campaign, uh, never claimed credit for things I didn't do. And to say that if your plan was followed, he would have won or whatever, you know, that's all, that's all revisionist history. It's hard to do. But what we do know was this was a campaign that had raised and spent, what, a billion, four hundred million dollars, had thousands of people on payroll, well, basically became the Hillary Clinton campaign from 2016. It was just this giant conglomerate of individuals. It wasn't a meritocracy. It wasn't nimble. Uh, and it had a very different result from 2016, because in 2016, with probably 200 people and a fraction of the spending of Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump was successful. Very diplomatic of you, Corey. But just for the record, I didn't say he was campaign manager. I said played a key role. That's all I said. No, but, but, no, yeah. but I think he, I think he, he actually, in the me. interview, and I know it wasn't that yeah. cut, but I think he actually said to Martha, for the first time, I'm now going to tell you I actually served as the campaign manager. And, and Martha pushed back and said, well, what about Kellyanne Conway? And Brad's response, and, and I'm paraphrasing, was, well, she was campaign manager in name only. So I know it wasn't that direct cut, but I believe that that was part of the interview that he did. Yeah, that is. And Eric's nodding along. Absolutely. Corey, I'm glad you're feeling better. Hope to see you soon. You bet. You, I'm sure you will. Thanks, Brian. You got him. Corey Lewandowski, back in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. So you really think, George, that Mike could step in there with a with a heavyweight in his prime and, and actually beat one of those guys? I really do, because but he'll need three more of those kind of exhibitions with guys that he has to be nervous and afraid of. Jones scared him a little bit for good reason, because Jones fast. That was good for him to be ripped up like that. Now, if he can take three more of those and be serious, I'd back him against anybody. We're not talking like Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, are we? Uh, you go eight too many rounds, I'd back Tyson. So that was George Foreman talking about the Mike Tyson that fought on Saturday night, one of the most unique fights where rap, uh, rap songs in between. No fans, obviously you can't have fans. Uh, and he had uh, eight two-minute rounds, so George Foreman weighed in. Keep in mind, Foreman was fighting in his 40s. We thought that was old. I mean, he was 45. He, uh, to this day, is still the oldest heavyweight champion of the world, official heavyweight cha- you know, champion of the world. 53 is a little bit different than 45, but I don't know. That's a stretch to say he can go toe-to-toe with one of the three world champions now. Yeah, and Snoop Dogg, uh, uh, for the record, uh, Snoop Dogg will be starting a new thing called the uh, Boxing League, uh, the Fight Club. Yep. And so he actually made, I said this yesterday, he was the saving grace of that card 
You had the UFC fighter who was fine, but didn't know anything about boxing in terms of a high level. And then Sugar Ray Leonard was one or two words. I don't even know if he did his yeah, homework. Yeah, you, you didn't even know he barely was there. But what was the line that you mentioned yesterday that you loved from Snoop Dogg with the ribs? Oh, no, no, no. Go ahead. No, no, you, you, I, I, you remember it. I oh, forget it. You said something about the ribs. What I like most about him, he goes, you know, this is a lot different than sparring. You're paying those guys. They're not going to beat you up. These guys really beat you up. So we'll see. It was fun. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, go to BrianKillMeShow.com. You can listen anytime, anywhere. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.